0: for today is 1 Corinthians 4:14 4, through 21. If you want to turn and, and read together. As I, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod, or in love, and a spirit of gentleness? This the word of the Lord.
1: We turn now to a time of the preaching of God's word. Tony Merida, in his book, Love Your Church, tells this story. says, my wife and I have adopted five children, one from Ethiopia. Joshua, our Ethiopian son, had only been home with us for about four months when he experienced his first Christmas in America. I'll never forget one particular moment that December, not only because it's a precious family memory, but because it so wonderfully illustrates the nature of the church. After being amazed by the snow in northern Virginia, we entered the home of Joshua's new grandparents. The house was filled with family members and it's a lively family. Joshua, who was only five years old at the time, was holding my hand as he carefully observed all these cousins, aunts, uncles, and grandparents. With the Christmas music playing, lights shining, and presents laid out under the tree, presents for him too, he looked up and asked, Papa, are all of these people our family? Yes, son, I said. All of these people are our family. He then says, and applies this, likewise every time we walk into our church's large or small gatherings, we can say of fellow believers, all these people are our family. Some of you may be tempted to say in your extended family gatherings, unfortunately all of these people are our family. That too can illustrate the church. Every church has people who are difficult to love. You may be one of them from time to time. Every church has some crazy uncles and wild brothers and sisters. For evidence that this has always been the case, just read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, which we are working through, but that's the church. What Joshua was learning during his first Christmas was this lesson. When you become a Christian, when you get adopted, you get a new family, and the church is a family of adopted brothers and sisters. When we come to faith in Christ, We not only get a new relationship with God, with our Father, but a new family, new family members too. In the letter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a young church that he had planted, and in the last few months as we've studied these early chapters of 1 Corinthians, we've seen that he's had some hard things to say to them. Some warnings, some corrections that were needed for a worldly church. But as we see in our passage today, Paul explains the reason he's willing to have these hard conversations. It's because he loves them. And his love for the Corinthians is the love of a father, a spiritual father, with his dearly loved children. What we'll be seeing from our passage today is that the church is a spiritual family. One that takes responsibility for each other's growth in Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We continue in our series in 1 Corinthians. And we are finishing chapter four today. We'll be looking at the final verses of chapter four, verses 14 to 21. So our main point, if you're taking notes from our passage today is this. Your church is your spiritual family. And we help each other follow Jesus. Your church is your spiritual family. And we help each other follow Jesus. We'll be having three points from our text. Point number one, family DNA. Point number one, family DNA. Point number two, family privileges and responsibilities. Point number two, family privileges and responsibilities. And point number three, family discipline. Number three, family discipline. I pray that the Lord would give us joy as we see the nature of the family Christ has given for us to be in with him and with his people. But I also pray that you not only give us joy, but wisdom in knowing how to live out our responsibilities as members of Emmanuel Church. Let me encourage you, if you are planning to be with us in the, the weeks ahead, we have journals in the back, 1 Corinthians Journals, Scripture journals that have the text on one side, that have a place for you to take notes on the other. We have a large stack back there. I don't want to have leftovers at the end of this series, so please, you can literally stand up and go grab one now. But this is a wonderful way for you to continue reading through 1 Corinthians uh, and preparing for the word preached, but also to have all of your notes in one place instead of these scattered sheets from our bulletins. I hope they're helpful to you. As we begin point number one, family DNA, let me read for us again a portion here, verses 14 to 17. Paul says this, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. As we've seen in these early weeks, the Apostle Paul has had some very difficult things to address in the Corinthian church. We are just planting Emmanuel Church as a new church, and I have chosen to study through 1 Corinthians because... 1 Corinthians seems to have hit every pothole possible in the road as they've gotten started as a church. They seem to have have run into every possible issue that a church could run into as they have gotten off the ground as a new church. And so Paul has to be quite severe at times in these letters to the Corinthians dealing with all of their issues. So many of them are issues of worldliness, of, of taking the world's perspective on life rather than God's from his word. And so he's having to address these issues one at a time. And he is beginning with the, the first major issue, which is an issue of division in the church. I know we live in a day and time where there's much division in our world, in our country, politically, in our churches. So often there's division. Well, these divisions are not new. The, the church at Corinth was a church that was divided. And they were divided over rivalry, being competitive in the way that they used their gifts, and they were divided in lining up after different leaders, associating themselves with only one leader that they thought was the best, in a way that was much more like the city of Corinth and much less like the heavenly kingdom that churches are supposed to be emulating. Paul is finishing a very long explanation of why it is that they as a church should not be divided. He's finishing his argument here at the end of chapter 4. And he's going to move on to a second issue, which we'll look at next week, which is the issue of unrepentant sin in the church. That's where he's heading. But he's finishing his section on division by coming alongside them and helping them be sure that they understand his tone in writing so severely and in dealing with their issues in such a serious manner. I don't know if you've ever had an issue in um, sending a text message or, if you remember such things, writing letters where you write something and somebody misses out on your tone or you make a joke and they don't get it, they think you're just being mean or The the written word doesn't quite communicate what you meant for it to communicate. Something got lost in translation. Well, Paul is making sure that the things that he's been writing here are landing the way that he wants them to land. He wants to be sure that he's not being misheard or misunderstood in terms of why he's doing this. Look there at verse 14. He's summarizing his argument by explaining why he's been addressing them the way that he has. And he's said some very severe things to them. But look at what he says in verse 14. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. And then he explains that he has a relationship with them, that of being their spiritual father. He says in verse 15, you may have countless instructors in Christ. But you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is saying, I am speaking these things to you out of a heart of love. My concern for you is one in which I am concerned that you thrive spiritually. That you grow spiritually. And that you all as Christians are looking more like Christ. That's my concern. But I'm coming to you not to shame you or mock you or tear you down but to warn you lovingly as a father. Paul here is addressing them as a spiritual father to spiritual children. But there are some wonderful realities that Paul explains as he addresses them here that I want to spend some time focusing on. This is the wonderful thing about God's Word. Sometimes in the middle of a a passage in God's Word, like in this passage, that the writer will be communicating something and along the way will be dropping gold nuggets of truth that you can't miss. Sometimes these gold nuggets of truth are so profound, those things are the most profound things that you are left staring at, rather than simply the thing that he's been communicating. Here the thing he's communicating is, listen to me and listen to my warning as the warning of a loving father, but he speaks of some wonderful realities along the way that I want to spend some time focused on. The first thing that this passage is showing us, which I want us all to to hear, is this reality that we talked about in our intro that Tony Meredith made so clear. We are spiritual family in Christ. When Paul says that he's writing to them as a father, he isn't saying this as merely a metaphor. He's talking about the reality that the church is God's family and we are, in Christ, spiritual family. All of us have come from a family in some way. All of us who were born in this world have parents. Whether we know them or not, But these physical parents are actually to draw our eyes upward to the fact that we have been created by a creator God who is the father through creation of everything that he's created. He is our father by creation, but through Christ, through salvation, we are brought into a second, more primary family, that of spiritual family in the church. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 12. It's an interesting passage. Jesus is speaking, teaching as the Messiah to Israel in Matthew chapter 12. And his mother and his siblings seem to think that he's crazy and want to take him away. They're going to believe in him later. But someone comes to Jesus, Matthew 12, verse 47, and says, Your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. And Jesus replied to them, Who is my mother? Who are my Brothers. Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus is saying here is he has a family, apart from the physical family that he came into the world through, through the Virgin Mary, and his half-siblings, siblings that included James, who would write the book of James, and Jude, who would write the book of Jude... Jesus says that he has another family that's much more profound, an eternal family that involve all of God's people. Jesus here is pointing to the reality that Paul is pointing to that they are all as Christian spiritual family. So our first point here is family DNA, the idea of family identity. We as Christians are to have a family DNA and to realize that our primary family as Christians is not our physical family or our physical extended family, but our primary family, our eternal family, is the family of God. The Bible tells us, as this passage points to, that we are, if we have come to know Christ, we are gods. If we have come to know Christ, we are united with Christ. We're going to have baptisms in a few hours and baptism points so clearly to our union with Christ and his death and his resurrection and his new life. We are united with him when we put our faith in Christ and we are then made a part of God's family. God, the first person of the Trinity, becomes our father. Christ, our savior, becomes with union with him our brother, the Holy Spirit is then united with us as he indwells us and brings us into fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Then he also makes us a part of this whole family, which is the church, the universal church. And we are to display this through our involvement in local churches. God is sanctifying us, making us more like him. And in doing this, he's making us to look like his son. We see this in our passage. Paul says that they may have many instructors in Christ, but they don't have many fathers. He said, I became your father in Christ through the gospel. He urges them then to imitate him. And then he says um, that they are to be following his ways in Christ. Well, we are to be made to look like Christ, but the only way that we get into this family is by being born into it. But it doesn't happen through a physical birth, it's through a spiritual birth. As Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Friends, if you are here and you're not a Christian, there is a family, an eternal family, that you can enter into, a family in which God would be your father, in which Christ Jesus would be your eternal brother, and in which every other Christian will live with you and dwell with you and live in a joyful relationship with for eternity. And this family is one that you must be born into, but it doesn't happen by biology. It doesn't happen through physical birth, but it happens by faith. As Jesus said, To Nicodemus, you must be born again, but this happens as we turn from our sins and trust in Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you must be born again to enter into this family. The Bible teaches that we have been created by God to know him and love him and serve him in joy forever, but the Bible tells us that we have been separated from him through our sin, that we have been actually expelled from that family. But that it was always God's plan to have a redeemer, Jesus, who would come to bring us back into a reconciled relationship with God through his perfect life, his death on the cross, and through his resurrection. Friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this invitation is for you, the invitation that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. You must be born again, and you can be if you turn from your sins and trust in Christ, in Christ alone for your salvation. You will then enter into God's eternal family. You will then become the body of Christ with Christ as the head. And we together then live in a committed relationship as Christians growing up into Christ until the day when we are all united with him and with each other, that entire extended eternal family as we're gathered around Christ's throne forever. Friends, this invitation is open to any that would accept it, but you must be born again. Friends, don't try to live a moral life without being connected to Christ. There are many who've attempted to be like Christ without ever being born again, being being made new, having this new spiritual life come up from within them as they are uh, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. The only way that we can live lives that look like Christ is by being connected to him. But what happens then as we come to know Christ is we begin to have a new family identity with God's people together. Families have identities. My family has an identity. Our kids are like, they're like being stamped out of a factory. Our kids have traits that come from my beautiful wife and from me. They have our eyes, our noses, our smiles. The good thing is our daughter looks more like my wife and our boys look more like me, that's, that's a good thing. But families have an identity together and they have family traits and this is what happens in the church, in God's family. We have been united with Christ and we then begin to take on the life of Christ in the way that we live. And we then have a culture similar to family cultures, a way that we live our lives together that speaks of, of Christ. We as a family try to have a culture together. We say things to our kids like, "Barrises do hard things, right? That's part of our culture as a church. It's not whine and complain. Let's embrace hard things. Let's do hard things. Because it's good for us and it's good for others too. Barrises do hard things. Well, the church, God's people, is to have a similar kind of culture together. But that culture is... Culture of Christ. How we act, the things that we do, the way that we love each other as the people of God is to look like Christ. Paul keeps using this phrase throughout this section in Christ. Look at verse 15. You may have had many instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. I became your father in Christ. He then is going to send them Timothy. He says, Timothy is his dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus. You see, the culture that the church is to have, the the culture that the family of God is to have is culture that is in Christ. Culture that follows after the footsteps of Christ. Uh, An identity that is connected to who he is and to the life that he lives. Jesus is how it is that we are saved, but then the Jesus life is the life that we then live out. We follow in his footsteps. And amazingly, this family is a family made up of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It isn't monoethnic, it's multicultural. Praise God that God has done this. He has miraculously made a family that demonstrates his cross work in which he tears down walls of division. If you have time this afternoon, read Ephesians 2 about the things that Christ has accomplished on the cross. He's brought together people from different tongues, tribes, and nations to be united in the church. And We should display this by the way that we live our lives as a family together. When we were overseas in Dubai, the church where I was on staff as a pastor had members from over 40 nations in one church. And we loved spending time together. And often when we would be out for meals in restaurants or together at a food court after church, people would be scratching their heads trying to figure out what is this group that's made up of people from so many different nationalities that all seemed to be together and to actually know each other and to love each other and to be relating to each other in ways that are loving. They would, often people would ask questions, who are you guys, what, what is this group? We loved being able to share. Well, we're Christians. We're members of the same church. This is what happens in the church. The church is a is a a family made up of people from different backgrounds, different places in life, uh, different likes and dislikes. We're not a club where we all look one note or all love the same hobbies. We are God's people, an extended family with all kinds of people. And the things that connect us are the love that we found in Christ. Because God has loved us in Christ, we then love each other. And it is a good thing for our relationships to be surprising to the watching world, knowing that what connects us primarily is Christ, our love for Him, His love for us, and our concern for one another. That leads us into our Our second point, that was family DNA, who we are in Christ. Now, family privileges and responsibilities. Family privileges and responsibilities. As we look at the things that Paul talks about here in this passage, we realize that Paul is holding out for them by his example that Christians in the church, in the family of God, Have both family privileges but also responsibilities. So point number one was family DNA. That is who we are. We are Christ's people. Now we think about what it is that we do. Well just like being a part of any family being a part of a family brings with it both privileges and responsibilities. Privileges and responsibilities. Now being a member of family of God, of the church, should come with it, privileges. One of the privileges of being a member of a church is having spiritual parents in the church. There's a very real sense in which my job as a pastor is to be like a spiritual father to this church. I am to be making sure that you as a church are provided for spiritually. One of the main ways that I do that is by preaching God's word to you all. That is my way, spiritually, of putting food on the table as a father. And I'm also to be concerned to model for you, not perfectly, but hopefully faithfully, something of what the Christian life should look like. That's why the qualifications for elders, almost all of them, have to do with character. Whether or not we are, as leaders, living out the things that we believe and the things that we teach. Paul's going to speak later About coming and having to deal with leaders who are all talk but have not experienced the power of the gospel they're not preaching that gospel with power and that power is not at work in their lives in terms of of being changed one of the privileges of entering into a church is having a spiritual father in a pastor and in elders friends this is something that I want to hold out for you all. My desire for this church is for me to be the best spiritual father that I can be for you all as a church. I'm not going to do this perfectly. I have a long list of weaknesses, even with my short list of strengths, just as any leader does. But I'm going to seek to love you all faithfully, aspire to feed you all God's Word, and to point you all, as Paul does, toward Christ, not to myself. Friends, I want you all to know that it has been a delight for me to be your pastor and to see this church planted. It has been a joy for me to be able to lead in Emanuel Church being planted. Bev and I took a trip a couple weeks ago to get away for a weekend and she was asking me as we had more extended time in the car, how are you doing? And I was sharing with her, um, I'm doing really well. But I've loved planting manual Church because what's been wonderful is I feel like I'm not doing it. I feel like God's doing it. And I feel like I get a front row seat seeing the things that God is doing. And I'm just excited to see him at work and to be a small part of it. Friends, this is one of the sweet things of... Um, Of joining a church is you have people who will then take responsibility for you spiritually the way that fathers and mothers do in a family. These are privileges. These are privileges that we get as being a part of a a spiritual family of a church. There are other privileges too. You have a whole community of people who are concerned with your well-being. We see in Acts chapter 2 right after that first church was planted in Jerusalem, that people are are selling their possessions, they are selling plots of land in order to meet the needs of the saints. There were privileges to joining a church for a people who were being disowned for following Christ. There were privileges to being a part of a church you were able to be cared for by other Christians who were concerned for you, both physically and spiritually. And Luke records there in Acts 2 that there there was no one there who had any needs. All of those needs were were met from day to day as these Christians took responsibility for each other. There are privileges to being a member of a church and a part of God's family. I think for those who know what it means to follow Christ and to be disowned by family or to follow Christ and to find yourself a long way from your physical home Understanding something of this reality is much more clear for people like that than it is for those of us who have good physical families. Sometimes we as Christians can be content with the joys of a physical family and not realize that we should be leaning into our spiritual family and finding that spiritual family, the church, to be a primary relationship in our lives. relationship of us with our church members. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 5 to Timothy. He tells him to relate to the older men in the church as fathers, to the older women as mothers, to the younger men as brothers, to the younger women as sisters with all purity. Paul is telling Timothy to be finding in the church the family of God to be true family. Now sometimes we as Christians can think about the church the way that teenagers think about families. How do teenagers think of families? Teenagers think of families as I want all the privileges, but I don't want any of the responsibilities, right? The teenagers show up right at dinner time. they don't help prepare the dinner, and they leave as soon as it's over, they don't help clean up afterwards. They want all the privileges of being a member of a family, but they don't want to be signed up for any of the responsibilities. Sometimes we as Christians can be like spiritual teenagers. Alex, uh, Pastor Alex, uh, A month or two ago talked about the kind of spiritual narcissism that we can have as Christians, even as Christians, thinking about the church only in terms of what I can get out of it and not in terms of what it's calling me to do in terms of responsibilities. I remember very clearly becoming a dad. I remember very clearly that first day meeting my daughter, my daughter who made me a dad for the first time. I remember holding her, and I remember feeling, on the one hand, like my heart had doubled in size, because there was all this love now for this person I'd never met before, but I'm staring at her, and she's half me, and she's half my wife, and she's beautiful, but she's also precious and tiny, and you then feel all of the responsibilities that are now going to come with being a dad, of needing to raise her, and care for her, and protect her, and provide for her. This is something of what Paul feels for these Christians in the church. The love of a father for these Christians that he had given birth to through the gospel. Paul here is modeling for us something of what this spiritual responsibility looks like for us as spiritual family. To take responsibility for each other and for each other's spiritual well-being. This happens... This kind of responsibility of being a spiritual father happens in two different ways from this text. The first is through evangelism. Look at verse 15. Paul says, you may have had countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel, through evangelism, we become spiritual parents, spiritual fathers and mothers. We, whether we are physical parents, can become spiritual parents. Young people can become spiritual parents by preaching the gospel. Single people can be spiritual fathers and mothers by preaching the gospel to those who have not yet heard it. Saints, old and young can be spiritual parents by preaching the gospel and seeing those that hear us come to know christ and there should be engendering in the hearts of those of us who do evangelize for those that come to know christ have such a heart for these new believers spiritual well-being it should be like a father with children knowing now that these young believers need to grow These young believers need to be cared for and nourished. They need to be nurtured and trained. They need to be safe. They need to have a nursery. They need to have a home. Brothers and sisters, that's what a church is. It is to be a a place of safety, but also a place of nurturing and growth for Christians, young and old, a place where where Christians can be safe but also can grow with people who are committed to that growth. And friends, this can happen through our evangelism. Friends, this should be an encouragement to our evangelism. We should desire to be such spiritual parents. We should be developing a heart for the non-Christians in our lives, the heart of a father or of a mother desiring to see non-Christians come to know Christ. And then once they do, to see them grow in their faith. Not only... Do we see Paul here as a father to the Corinthians through the preaching of the gospel? We also see fa- Paul here as a father, secondly, through discipleship. Look at verse 16 and 17. He says, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. So Paul's now ensuring that the Corinthians are going to be cared for and nurtured spiritually by sending Timothy, a faithful pastor. But then he says this about Timothy. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, the fascinating thing is, Paul didn't lead Timothy to the Lord. If you look at Acts chapter 16, Paul meets Timothy at Lystra and Derbe, and he, Timothy is already a disciple. Timothy is recommended to Paul, but Paul then takes Timothy under his wing and helps Timothy to grow, and helps him to not only grow as a Christian, but to grow and being able to be a minister of the gospel with Paul. You see here that Timothy became Paul's son, not by being evangelized by Paul, but by being discipled by him. And this is a second way that we can be spiritual parents, by helping other Christians to grow spiritually, by discipling them. Well, sometimes... Discipling can sound scary or big or complicated. I love Mark Dever's simple definition. Discipling is simply helping others follow Jesus. All of us as disciples of Christ are to be following Jesus. To disciple other people is to help others follow Jesus. Now, how does this happen practically? Well, it happens practically in two ways. One is by teaching. Look at verse 17, just as I teach Everywhere, we are discipled through teaching. We see this in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Discipleship happens through disciples being taught because a disciple is a student. But it happens secondly, not only through teaching, but through a lifestyle of showing There are many things that we learn, not simply by being taught them, but by being shown them. Think about a child. How much do our children learn from us by the things we say, and how much of the things that they learn do they learn by watching us and imitating us, for better or for worse. Sometimes we see our children do things that we would think we would never do, and then we realize, oh, we see ourselves in that. They are watching and they are imitating Paul. He's telling them here to imitate him. But Paul says, imitate me, but really what he's saying is imitate me because I'm simply imitating Christ, as he says somewhere else, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he says there, Timothy is gonna show them my ways in Christ. Not only the things that Paul believed and taught, but also the life that is to be lived in line with that teaching and that truth. This happens practically through life-on-life discipleship, through us being in each other's lives, to us as Paul tells the Thessalonians that he shared with them not only the gospel of God but his very life. We are to be showing people what the life of Christ looks like by the way that we live and bringing people into our lives. Though they're messy, hopefully they're faithful. Though we're not perfect, hopefully there's something faithful that people can learn from. Jesus did this in Mark chapter three. It says that Jesus chose the 12, that they might be with him. The disciples learned much through Jesus' teaching, but they learned just as much through watching and imitating him. In this way, discipling is often more like apprenticeship than a lecture in a classroom. It's learning from a skilled master or a faithful practitioner learning from the example that you follow. Jesus' disciples in Acts chapter 4 are boldly proclaiming Christ, and they stand up to the, the religious leaders of the day. And in Acts 4.13, it says there that when they, the religious leaders, observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and they recognized that they had been Jesus. Jesus' followers looked like Jesus because they learned from his example what it meant to teach and to live lives that were faithful to Christ. So, friends, I wonder who have been the spiritual fathers or mothers in your life? Can you look back and point to them? Can you think of those names? If you've never thanked them for the the work that they've done in your life, let me encourage you to do that. Send an email, a text or make a phone call. It would be a huge encouragement, I know, to the faithful Christians in your life to know the kind of impact that they've had. Sometimes we can faithfully do ministry and, and not, never know if we're having a good effect or not. Let me encourage you to encourage your spiritual fathers and mothers. My, I've had multiple spiritual fathers in the faith. One of the first was in college, my college professor, Colin Smith. Holland was my theology and Hebrew professor. But through getting to know him and eventually becoming his teacher's assistant, I got to know him personally, and he not only taught me in the classroom, he then took me into his life, brought me into his home, into his office. And then eventually I ended up serving with him as a fellow pastor of the same church as we planted a church. And I became like a Timothy to his Paul, learning from him not only truth about God, but what it looked like to be a pastor. I had a similar experience in Washington, D.C. with with Mark Dever. We we are able to look back and see the people that have had a profound effect on our lives, not only by teaching us true things about God, but by living faithful lives before us that we can imitate and learn something from. Take the good, maybe set aside some of the bad, but learn through faithful examples. Do you remember, in high school, people taking parenthood classes? It was one of those classes that always baffled me, the, the parenthood class, and you'd see kids going around school with babies and dolls, and sometimes if they were nicer, they'd cry every now and then, or they'd have some setting where they weren't being held, they would start crying. You had to take care of his baby every moment of the day for a long period of time. So It's a good example of young people learning to grow and taking responsibility. I love seeing my kids grow and being able to take responsibility for each other. My older kids today were teaching my younger child a little bit about the coins that we have here in America. This is a quarter, this is a dime, this is a nickel. They're able to teach some things that they've learned to their younger sibling. Friends, if you're a Christian, you should be growing and wanting to take more responsibility for others' spiritual well-being. This job shouldn't simply be for the Pauls of the world, the apostles out there, or even the pastors. No, this should be something that all of us as Christians should be growing and learning to take responsibility for one another spiritually. The Bible assumes that this being in a spiritual family and taking responsibility for each other spiritually is the normal Christian life. This is not an optional add-on. This is to be our lifestyle as Christians, growing and taking responsibility for one another spiritually. should be a lifestyle, a culture of us taking the initiative for each other's spiritual good. Friends, how, how are we doing with this? We live in Orange County the place where megachurches were started and where lots of people think of the Christian life as something that they do on Sunday for an hour or an hour and a quarter and they check that box and they move on and they don't realize that there's a calling on us as Christians and as Christ followers to be taking responsibility for other believers to grow spiritually, not simply showing up once a week and being filled up and moving on growing and not only taking the privileges of being a part of God's family, but also taking on the responsibility of helping others grow spiritually. So friends, how are we doing? Are we growing in this? Perhaps you don't know where to start. Let me encourage you to come talk to me. I would love to help you think practically what this might look like in your life or what are some good first steps to take. Help you get some training wheels on your life as a disciple or somebody who takes initiative for the good of others. I'd be happy to arrange marriages spiritually in terms of discipleship and connect people to to spiritually beneficial relationships. It might be a little awkward at first. That's okay. We can do hard things as a church for the sake of growing ourselves and helping others grow too. Friends, let me encourage you as well as we think about this Beautiful image of becoming someone's father or mother in Christ through the gospel. To be doing evangelism together, I want us as a church to always be on our toes when it comes to evangelism. To always be thinking, how can we be not only caring for the Christians that are here, but having an eye to preach the gospel of those that are outside. I encourage you to maybe even link arms in pursuing discipleship. I'm sorry, evangelism relationships with maybe a mom or maybe. A friend, or maybe a co worker, or a neighbor, and linking arms as members of this church in working together in our evangelism. If you're interested in finding some practical ways of doing this, talk with Josh and Ashley. They have some opportunities coming up with apartment life where they're going to be able to to try to evangelize their neighbors there in the streams here in Fullerton. I would love for us as a church to be linking arms with the deans and finding practical ways of evangelizing together as a church so that we would be able to see ourselves as spiritual mothers and fathers of specific people in the church in the days ahead. Let's pray for this. And let's lastly, as an application, let's walk Together with one another through the hard things that are going on in our lives. You know, one of the privileges of being a member of a church is that you don't have to go it alone, friends. One of the privileges of being a member of a church and being connected with Christ and with God's family is that we get to lean on other people as they bear our burdens and help us through hard things. But if we as a church don't know the hard things that you're going through, we can't help you with them. We can't bear those burdens with you, and you're gonna be bearing them alone. Those burdens that you bear alone may be crushing you and keeping you from persevering and actually having some bandwidth and maybe some extra energy to be a blessing to other people, too. Let me encourage you, friends bring others into the hard things you're going through and allow us as a church to be the family that we are called to be, meeting each other's needs. Lastly, and much more quickly, we see point number three here, family discipline. This is the last part of chapter four. Point number one was family DNA. Point number two was family privileges and responsibilities. Point number three, family discipline. Paul ends here on a A much stronger note. Look at verse 18. He not only said up there at the beginning that he had written these things to warn them, he now then says, though he is their father, that he is going to come and may have to deal more strongly with those who are arrogant. Look at verse 18. Now, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love in the spirit of gentleness? The Bible teaches that we as a church are responsible for each other's spiritual growth. Theologians have referred to this uh, as being a formative discipline. Can someone grab the door for Eli? I think He locked himself out theologians have called this formative discipline, we are to be helping each other grow spiritually in a formative or constructive way. You can think of this like the military. You go into the military, you go to boot camp, and you experience discipline, but it's the discipline of a formative kind. You're being trained. Well, some people who have been in the military may say it's destructive, but at some point they're going to be building you up and teaching and training you. You could say the same thing about education, a course that you go through in which you're being tutored. You're being disciplined. You are learning a new discipline by being disciplined formatively in a positive way. Well, this is what this last section was just talking about. We are to be helping each other grow spiritually. The Bible also talks about a corrective discipline. Now, Paul is going to address this in chapter 5. So next week, we will begin looking through that section in which Paul tells them that they need to be exercising a corrective church discipline with a member who is living in unrepentant sin. But here, Paul is using this image of discipline, as he is their father spiritually, to say that he's going to come as an apostle and deal with those who are wicked and those who are arrogant in the church, those who are causing division those that are turning the church into their own personal platforms and he's going to deal with them in a more harsh way if they do not repent. But he pleads with them to repent so that when he comes verse 21 he would be able to come with a spirit of gentleness and not have to come with a rod. Rod is the biblical term to talk about physical discipline of spanking for parents with children. Paul is saying he may need to come, and as their spiritual father, discipline by dealing with them in a more stern manner, but he says he doesn't want to do this. He wants to be able to deal with them in a gentle way. I wonder what your life was like in terms of the discipline of your parents. I wonder if you've experienced both of these kinds of discipline. I remember getting into a car crash in high school and destroying my dad's brand new car. He had just gotten it. He spent a lot of work doing research on it. And I totaled it really bad. I hit a car that hit a car that hit a car because I was being thoughtless and was driving too fast and I wasn't looking where I was going. I was trying to pick up a cassette tape that had fallen and I looked up and all these cars had stopped and I destroyed my dad's car. And I remember waiting for him to come and I had to wait for him to come because my accident had caused a lot of traffic and it took a long time for him to come and I had a long time to think about what I had done and to steel myself for the stern rebuke that was coming. I knew he was coming with a rod. And then my dad came and he gave me a hug and he said, I love you son, I'm glad you're safe. And he went and he dealt with the insurance, he dealt with the tow truck and he left and I didn't know how to handle that. I was ready for that stern rebuke. I wasn't ready for that gentleness. But it was amazing for me to know that my dad loved me, and he loved me more than that car that I destroyed. And I think he knew, coming up to me, that I knew what I had done, and that he didn't need to come with that harsh tone, that he could come with gentleness, knowing that I had learned that lesson. This is Paul's hope for these Christians, that we able to respond to this rebuke, the loving rebuke of a father, that they will not need a stern rebuke of him coming with a rod, but that he could come and gently teach them and train them. Children, I want you all to to listen to this. This is for you, Audrey. This is for you, Samantha and Jack and Jude and Ezra and Lennox. Your, Your parents love you. And it is a joy to be in a loving family, Loving family in which your parents love you. And when your parents love you a lot, they're willing to train you. They're willing to correct you. They're willing sometimes to discipline you, but it means that they love you and they want what's best for you. And they know that if you're going down a path that leads to destruction, that you need to be stopped. This is what this passage is teaching. The theology behind this is that loving parents discipline their children. So, children, let me encourage you to embrace the discipline of your parents, though they'll never be perfect at it, as a faithful attempt to imitate our Heavenly Father who disciplines His children lovingly. And children, I want you to remember the main point of this passage, which is that the church is your spiritual family. And that we help each other follow Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to be a member of a family. This passage is telling us that there's a better family than the family that you were born into. It's the family in which Jesus has brought us into. The family of God. Well friends, as we conclude, and we need to conclude, let me leave with you this quote from Mark Dever's helpful little book on discipling. As you think about our calling to be caring for each other spiritually and helping each other to grow spiritually, Mark says this, for me, discipling is the only way that I can evangelize non-Christians and equip Christians in that one place where I can never travel, the future beyond my life. Discipling others now is how I try to leave time bombs of grace into the future. Friends, as you think about our calling as Christians to be helping each other grow, do you know that you are actually caring for people that you'll never meet? By doing faithful evangelism today and by discipling Christians today, you are actually able to ensure that other people are evangelized and discipled in other places at other times simply through your faithful efforts. There are people in your life that were faithful. There are people in in my life that were faithful who are no longer alive today. But their ministry is continuing through their ministry in my life. And this can can happen for all of us in the days ahead. If Christ's return is delayed, we want to be faithful now. So that the the ministry that we're a part of continues on from one generation to the next. Until that day when Christ returns. And we're united with that that whole extended family with Christ forever. Let's look forward to that day together and be faithful in our work. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us through Christ. Thank you that you have loved sinful children. You have redeemed us through Christ and made us a part of your family. Lord, thank you for making us a part here of Emmanuel Church. Lord, we pray that this would be the kind of family that would be a compelling community that others would want to be a part of as we show others something of what Christ is like with our faithful love. Lord, we pray that you would do this for our good and for your glory in Christ's name.